This morning as I opened up my Bible, got the notes ready, got ready to, to bring God's words to you, something just felt off. I felt like I was struggling through the morning message today, and usually I can find my bearings as I find my wife somewhere in the audience, and she wasn't here, so um, she's been at home nursing uh, some sort of a sickness. She just hasn't been well, hasn't been able to sleep the last couple days, been waking up intermittently over the course of the night, which means I'm waking up intermittently the course of the night. It's just so horrible for me, right? No. Um, some of you got that. Um, she's, she was doing a little bit better when I got back this afternoon, so I'm thankful for that. And just covet your prayers for her going forward. She has two more weeks until her due date. So we're getting down to crunch time. I have a feeling this baby's going to come a little bit sooner, but first two were a week late, so only the Lord knows. We'll see. Uh, but we're excited nonetheless. Our passage that we're going to be looking at tonight is from Romans chapter 10. So I'd invite, with you, invite you to turn with me this time to Romans chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 11 through verse 17, Romans 10, 11 through 17, in a sermon that I've titled, What is Faith and How Can We Have It? What is Faith and how can we have it? Imagine going to the post office and dropping off two letters. One letter is the fanciest letter you have ever made. It has the nicest envelope. It has the most decorative design on the outside of the envelope. The handwriting on the envelope is so fancy, so elegant. And the overall impression that this envelope leaves is that there must be something incredibly important within it. And as nice and fancy as this letter is, though, there's no stamp on it. The second letter you have is within an envelope that looks like it was dragged on the street the entire way to the post office. It has smudges on it, and it is absolutely filthy. The envelope itself is very plain, very simple, nothing fancy about it, very ordinary. The handwriting on the envelope looks like it was addressed by a two-year-old. And as bad as the second letter appears... It does have a stamp on it. Now, which one of these two letters has the best chance of getting mailed? It doesn't matter how nice the one looks and really how bad the other one may look. The only important thing is that one has a stamp on it while the other one doesn't. Now, in our Christian life, it really doesn't matter how eloquent our prayers may be. How many verses we can quote back to God in our prayers. It doesn't matter how long we can pray without taking a single breath. How loud we can pray to make sure that everyone around us is listening. None of these things matter with regards to whether or not our prayers will be answered by God. The one thing that matters is that when we go to God in prayer, we're praying in faith. Faith is that stamp, if you will, on our prayers that ensures delivery. Someone has said, pray, believe, and you'll receive. Pray and doubt, and you'll do without. If there was ever a time for us to have the mountain-moving faith that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, it is undoubtedly today. I may not be able to tell you what you will amount to over the course of your Christian life, but I can tell you that everything you do amount to will be in direct correlation to your amount of faith in God. 
Notice what happened when Jesus was approached by two blind men who were seeking him out and seeking for his help. In Matthew 9, verses 28 to 30, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. Matthew 9, 28 to the verse 30, it says, When he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. You can make any claim that you want. But if you do not genuinely believe in the power of God, don't expect God to do anything with regards to what you're going to him in prayer for. What you accomplish in this Christian life will be directly proportionate to your level of faith in Christ. It makes no difference how famous you are. It makes no difference how wealthy you are. It makes no difference how good that you look. It makes no difference who your friends are. It makes no difference how you feel. Jesus said to these two blind men, according to your faith, be it unto you. Faith is the key, and it is the greatest asset we have as Christians. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And unbelief is the greatest stumbling block that we will ever face. Unbelief is even more than just a stumbling block, though. Unbelief is the worst of all evils. Unbelief is one of the greatest of all sins. It was the sin of unbelief that led to Adam and Eve's rebellion all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It was the sin of unbelief that led to millions of Israelites dying in the wilderness and missing out on entering into the promised land. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, it verifies this truth. It says, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear swear he that they should not enter into his rest? but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It was the sin of unbelief that prevented millions of the Jews from entering into the promised land. It was the sin of unbelief that cost so many in Jesus' hometown when you fast forward into the Gospels. So many in Jesus' hometown from missing out on blessings from him. Listen to Matthew 13, verses 57 to 58. It says, of the people in Jesus' hometown, and they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What we find is that as powerful as God is, and he is all-powerful, God has chosen to limit some of his work to be according to the faith of men. There are many more things that God would do for us if we would only have faith in him. But because he has chosen to limit himself with certain things to the level of our faith in him and in his ability, we lack so many of his blessings. That is why unbelief is so detrimental because it literally costs us blessings that God desires us to have. And in many instances, Our unbelief is essentially handcuffing God and preventing him from offering help, from giving us provisions, and from pouring out blessings that otherwise would have been poured out upon us. In every way, as the Bible says, unbelief is sin. But I mentioned that unbelief, I believe, is the greatest of all sins. Think about it. Unbelief is the only sin. It is the only sin that will send people to hell. 
There are all sorts of other sins that people can commit, such as lying, murder, cheating, sexual perversions of all kinds, pride, lust, anger, and you can fill in the blank until you're blue in the face. And every one of those are all sinful. But all of those sins can be forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The only sin that cannot be forgiven, the unpardonable sin, is this sin of unbelief. Jesus declared in John 3, 18, he says, He that believeth on him, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It is only the sin of unbelief that keeps a person from heaven. Jesus said to a man whose son was demon-possessed, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, he said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible to him that believeth. And this is not only true in the physical realm, but it's true in the spiritual realm as well. If you believe, if you have faith in God, and he's declared this to be true in his word, nothing is impossible. But if you don't believe, if you don't have faith in Christ, nothing is possible. We're told in Romans chapter 1, verse number 17, that the just shall live by faith. Faith is the key to everything. Faith is that stamp, if you will, that brings delivery. The same way you're able to live physically by breathing and receiving nourishment for your bodies through food and even through the air that you breathe into your lungs, we live and are nourished spiritually through faith in God. The Bible talks in great detail of all that comes to us in faith. Romans chapter 5 tells us that our salvation comes through, comes through faith. It says, therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.14 tells us that we have fullness of the Spirit through faith. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, the Spirit through faith, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it tells us that we have victory over the, over, over the spiritual world through faith as well. It says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Ephesians 6.16 tells us we have victory over Satan through faith. It says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And finally, in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, it tells us that we are sanctified through faith. It says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. The Bible has so much to say about how important faith is and what it brings to us. But think about all the problems that come to us because of a lack of faith, because of unbelief. A lack of faith leads to fear in your life. Rather than exercising faith in the midst of the raging storm, the disciples were consumed with fear. And Jesus looked to his troubled disciples and he asked them this in Luke 8, verse 25. He says, where is your faith? We remember the story where Jesus is asleep and they come and they frantically wake him up because the sea is storming. And they're concerned that they're going to die. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And they wake him up and he says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Because it's not here. It's not in me. It's not evident at all. Where is your faith? A lack of faith leads to fear, leads to worry. Jesus declared in Matthew 6, verse 30, 
He says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? How many of you get worried about the just regular, everyday things of life? Wondering how you're going to pay your bills, wondering how you're going to feed yourself, wondering how you're going to continue to provide down the line. And here we are getting so anxious and stressed about it because you don't know what is going to happen and how things are going to get taken care of tomorrow and next month and next year. And God says to you, if he takes care of even the smallest of his creatures, don't you think he cares about you and is going to take care of you as well? A lack of faith also leads to doubt. Peter began doubting the power of Christ when he was able to take a few steps on that water and see a Galilee. And notice what happened in Mark 14, verse 31. He began to sink, and it says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? A lack of faith leads to doubt because it forces us to take our attention off of God and onto our circumstances. And when we put our eyes on our circumstances, we have to, we have to think about how we're incapable of overcoming those circumstances at times. And that brings on doubt. A lack of faith also leads to disobedience. It was a lack of faith that led to Adam and Eve disobeying God's word and eating of the tree that they were not to eat from. And there are many more problems that come because of a lack of faith. But I pray that our time this evening will lead us to increase our faith in Christ and not bring more problems to our lives, but bring more blessings that come through faith. It is so crucial for us to learn how to believe in God. And we will point out several factors that will help us build a lasting and an active faith. So first I want you to notice the reality of biblical faith. The reality of biblical faith. Notice what we're told here in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 11. Romans chapter 10, verse number 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. In order for faith to be real, we must place it in the right object. You have to have faith in something. We hear, hear people say all the time, we just need to have faith. You just need to believe. Well, faith in what? Believe in what? There's no power in faith that is not resting in Jesus Christ. There's nothing magical about having faith. Our faith is only as powerful as the object that we're placing it into. Some people will say, if you just believe in yourself enough, you can do anything. I wish that were true. But that's putting faith in yourself. That's not putting faith in God. And I promise you, you'll never be able to do everything, let alone anything, if you're only relying on, it, on yourself. We have so many limits. We have so many weaknesses. We have so many things that we are physically incapable of doing. I don't care how much faith you have in your own ability, in your own strength, in your own power, in your own intellect, it will never be enough. Your faith is only as good as the object upon which it rests. That is why misplaced faith can be incredibly dangerous. The reason that I cannot move mountains is not because I haven't believed in myself enough to move mountains. It is because I don't believe enough in God. It is not faith that moves mountains. And it is certainly isn't within myself to move mountains. It is God the one who moves the mountains. And before Jesus told his disciples about mountain moving at all, he said to them in Mark 11, verse 22, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Then he started talking about this mountain moving faith. 
God must first be the object of our faith. Many people think that faith is just positive thinking. Faith may not be positive thinking, but faith will definitely help you think more positively. The reality of biblical faith, as expressed here in Romans 10, verse 11, is that we are not to believe on ourselves, but we're to believe on God. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Your faith is no better than its object. If you try and limit faith to just positive thinking, you're going to be quickly disappointed. There will eventually come a time when you're trying to think as positively as you can about a situation, about a circumstance, but it, takes, it makes nothing better. A boy once came to his dad and said, Dad, I think I failed my math, te- my math test today. His dad replied, Well, son, that's very negative thinking. You've got to be positive, son. To which the boy replied, Dad, I'm positive I failed it. As much as you try to rely upon your positive thoughts to get you by, what you'll find is that rather than positive thoughts being an encouragement and an uplifting thing for you, they will become more a discouragement to you. After some time, it'll dawn on you, no matter how positively you may think about yourself, you will always let yourself down and you're always going to find that you're lacking what it takes to get by in life on your own. You will continue to find yourself insufficient and discouragement will quickly set in. You shouldn't place your faith in yourself and you, you shouldn't place your faith in your faith. Up near the northern parts of the source of the Mississippi River, near the, the headwaters, it was a bitterly cold winter and the Mississippi River had entirely frozen over. There was a man who, rather than traveling a further distance to go across a bridge, decided that he would just walk across the frozen ice, which certainly could be done. He didn't see anyone else out there. It looked thick enough to not pose a threat, to not be a danger to him. So he thought to himself, I believe I can walk across. I don't have to take the extra several mile down to where the bridge is and take the bridge across. I can cross right here. And this man began to walk across that river on the ice. When he got a certain distance from the shore, he looked at the other shore behind him and began to think, you know, maybe I shouldn't be out here. Maybe this ice won't actually hold me up. If I fall through, no one is ever going to know what happened to me. I'm a fool. What am I even doing out here? And as he turned around to go back to the other side, he said to himself, you know, I better walk softly. Then he thought, better yet, I should probably get down on all fours so that I'm not placing all my weight in one place at one time. Then he thought to himself, you know, that's not enough. I better lie down so that I'm not putting any of my weight in one spot, but it's all spread as wide as possible. So he's crawling across the ice now, face down on the ice, squirming across. But even that wasn't enough. He began thinking, what a fool I am. My wife will never know what happened to me as this ice breaks and I eventually drown. He began to whimper and cry. That's when he heard it, a roaring and a cracking sound. Oh, he said to himself, here it comes. The ice is finally breaking. I'm a goner. He put his face down on the ice and he began to pray, God, save me. Lord, help me. The noise got closer and closer, the rumbling and the roaring, but the ice didn't seem to be breaking. He couldn't figure it out. He looked up, and there was a man 
with a team of horses, with a wagon loaded with logs, riding across that river. And that was the noise that he heard. When he saw that, jumped right up, brushed himself off, took his stroll across the rest of the river. The difference between the two men is that the one knew the ice and the other didn't. This is what happens when you place your faith in faith. It always shows itself lacking because doubts will always creep in. The reality of biblical faith is not rooted in yourself. It's not rooted in this idea of faith. It is rooted in the knowledge of God. In Romans 9 verse 33 it states, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The same thing we see in Romans 10, 11. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The way to have strong faith is not to try and make yourself believe something. It is to get to know God. In Psalm 9, verse 10, it declares, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. In Daniel 11, verse 32, it also states, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. This is the reality of biblical faith. Your faith is only as strong as what it is resting on. We must know God. But second, I want you to notice the root of biblical faith. The root of biblical faith. Biblical faith is not just rooted in knowing God, but in also hearing from the God that you know. Look with me at Romans 10 verses 14. And then in verse number 17. Verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And then verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Biblical faith is contingent upon Hearing from God. You don't, figure out the, by, you don't figure out the will of God by just waking up one day and guessing it. These verses make it crystal clear that faith comes to us. It is not found. It is not generated by us. It is literally given to us from God. We're told in Philippians 1.29, it says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So in essence, what the Bible is telling us is that God gives you the ability to first believe on him, and he does this by giving you his word. Faith cometh by hearing, it says, and hearing by the word of God. Therefore, contrary to popular belief, faith is not a matter of naming it and claiming it. Faith is a matter of God speaking and you believing it and receiving it. In Hebrews 11 verse 1, it tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word hope, right there in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it means something completely different today than what it meant in the Bible. Today, we have attached almost a negative aspect to that word hope. Causing it to mean, not what the Bible meant it to mean, but now we have the word hope mean maybe, a possibility, hopefully. All of these aspects attached to them. We've weakened and we've cheapened the real meaning of the word hope. The true meaning of the word hope, which we find in Scripture, means a confident expectation. A confident expectation or a confident assurance. 
When you come across the word hope in the Bible, please know that it doesn't mean maybe, possibly, a strong desire. Know that every time you come across this word, it literally means a confident expectation, a rock-solid assurance. It is an assurance that is based on the promise of God. Hope is the blessed assurance, not the blessed possibility. So when we read in Hebrews 11 verse 1, where it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It changes things, doesn't it? The word substance first implies that it's something that is tangible. And in this instance here in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it's something you can actually stand on. What is your faith standing on? And it should be standing on God. So when you're living by faith, you're not walking around on unstable ground. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The confident expectation of things that God has promised. And we know that not one of God's promises ever fail. Therefore, the root of biblical faith is God and his word. But how does God communicate his word? Well, the first way that God communicates his word is through the Bible. The very Bible that you're holding in your hands in front of you. God has revealed his truth to the world through his written word. But God also communicates through the spoken word. Notice verse 17 here in Romans chapter 10 again. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, this verse actually letting us know of another form of God's communication to man. When you open up and you read your Bible, which is the spoken word of God, this is what God has spoken to man, the Bible then begins to speak to you out of the word. Now, it may not be an audible voice that you hear. But when you sit down and you are genuinely seeking God in his word, God will speak to you as clearly as if he were sitting right next to you. He'll hit you right between the eyes as you're reading something in his word. Or he'll hit you like a two by four to the back of your head sometimes. That's what I need often. But it'll be so clear that it is God speaking to me through what I'm reading in his word. And this is the second way that he does this. God will speak to you and reveal more of his truth to you. That is why man has been reading and studying the same book for nearly 2,000 years. If God only spoke to us in the written word, if, if we opened this up and there wasn't a... God who would also speak to us through it. We could read it through a couple of times and learn everything there is to know about it and be satisfied, close it up, stick it on a shelf, let it collect us forever. Pastors have an endless source to preach from the Bible because the more they're seeking out God and his word, the more God will speak to them and reveal his truth to them. So when a pastor preaches a message from the word of God, he is merely God's delivery man, delivering to you the message that God has put on his heart. God has spoken to him, and then he's speaking through him. But it's not enough to just hear a sermon. Look back at what it says here in verse number 14 of Romans chapter 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Right there in the middle of that verse, we have this phrase. It says, and how shall they believe in him of whom 
they have not heard. In other words, it must be God they're hearing from. Again, how shall, they, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom? Those words, of whom, speaking of God. God has to be the one speaking to them. God has to be the one revealing himself to them. In other words, you have to be hearing this from God. It's as if God is telling us when we open up his word. Here is my word. Every bit of it is from me. And it is all true. But the more you read it, I'm going to speak to you even more than what's written on the pages of scripture here. And that's going to be especially from me to you personally. If you're wondering why God maybe hasn't spoken to you this way, it could be that you're not genuinely seeking God out in the word. Many people read the Bible, but not many people feast on the Bible. We need to read it with the intent that we're literally feeding our souls. Don't just read the Bible to read it. Read the Bible to learn about God. Read the Bible to see how he speaks to your heart more than how it's ever been spoken to. More that you're open to him. This is why I encourage you, whenever we, we talk about Bible reading and, and keeping up with our, our daily Bible reading, put away all the distractions. Maybe some of you can do it. Maybe some of you can have the TV blaring in the background, have all sorts of chaos going on around you, and you can just sit with your Bible on your lap, and you can read as if nothing is going on. I, I can't. I have to have absolute quiet, and even if there's the slightest humming noise, I have to figure out what in the world is going on. I need it absolutely quiet in order to really focus I can still read it with all the chaos, but I need to absolutely quiet to actually be able to get into it in such a way that I can actually hear God speaking to me. So that's why I encourage you. And again, everyone is going to be different on this, but as much as possible, get rid of the distractions. Whatever the distraction may be for you, get rid of it. Put yourself in a position where you are just alone with God and his word and that you can hear him speak to you. Put away the phone, turn off the TV. If it helps throw the kids outside, Put aside the food that you're eating. Just give yourself time with nothing but the Bible. Before you even open it up, take a moment to pray. Pray and ask God to help settle your thoughts. Because you may be coming to the Bible, but there may be all sorts of thoughts swirling around in your mind. You're thinking about the deadline that you have. You're thinking about the car that needs to be fixed. You're thinking about the roof that is so leaky that's still reminding you that it needs to get done. You're thinking about all these other things, but you're reading it. Your mind isn't getting anything out of it. Pray and ask God before you sit down and read for him to be able to focus your attention, all your thoughts on him. When you finished reading, pray again and ask God for you to, for him to call to remembrance everything that you've read over the course of the entire day. God will reward those who are diligently seeking after him, so be diligent in the time that you spend with him. You don't have to spend all day. You don't have to spend three hours doing it, but whatever time you spend with him, make it be diligent. Spend it wisely. We've seen the reality of biblical faith, the root of biblical faith, but third, notice the result of biblical faith. What is the purpose of biblical faith? Well, faith is not about getting man's will done here or, or even on in, in, in heaven. Faith is about getting God's will done here on earth. And the result of biblical faith is really the will of God. When God is speaking to you through his word, he is going to reveal to you what he wants you to do, where he wants you you to go, what he needs you to say. Some people think that the will of God is a burden because God is essentially telling you how you need to live your life. 
He doesn't like you to have freedom. He doesn't like you to be able to do things on your own. He is going to lock you in and say, this is what you need to do or else. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Knowing the will of God is actually an incredible blessing because it shows you what you get to do. In many ways, knowing the will of God is an incredible gift because God is showing you this is the pathway of success for your life, which is different for every single person, but it's specific to you. Knowing and living in the will of God should bring such comfort and confidence in your lives because we no longer wonder what we need to be doing, where we need to be going, what we need to be saying. Those questions about our future will, look, will no longer bother us because we know as long as we're living in the will of God, God will accomplish his plan perfectly through us even if we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. Knowing and living in the will of God brings stability to your life. And it allows you to walk through life with confidence, knowing that God is already ordering all your steps. We're told in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So the reality of biblical faith is a faith in God. The root of biblical faith is hearing from God. The result of biblical faith is God's will is known and God's will is accomplished. And fourth, we see the release of biblical faith, the release of biblical faith. How do we get faith to be real to us? How do we make biblical faith to be personally experienced? Biblical faith is so much more than just knowing God and knowing what God's will is for you. Biblical faith is putting all of that now into action. Biblical faith is not about just believing. It is about obeying what you believe. Biblical faith is active. Biblical faith has legs to it. And legs that are moving, not legs that are just standing still. Notice what we're told back in verse number 16 here in Romans chapter 10. It says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Some will try to claim ignorance as the excuse to why their faith is not active. I didn't know what God wanted me to do. What God wanted me to do. I didn't know where God wanted me to go because God never spoke to me. And if God never spoke to me, then God must have never given me the ability to have faith. And if God never gave me the ability to have faith, then I'm unable to believe. So you see, it's not actually my fault. God is the one who is to blame because he dropped the ball somewhere way down the line. The problem with that logic is that God doesn't withhold from his people. He gives everyone the opportunity to come to him in faith. But many, as verse 16 tells us here, do not obey his call. Many will hear the truth as it goes out according to Romans 10, 17. But few will obey. They have not all obeyed the gospel. God has spoken in his written word. And God will further speak to each individual through his word. But many never get that far because they don't believe and obey what is read in the written word. Not everyone will believe, but God makes sure that everyone has the opportunity to believe. Jump down to verse number 21, the last verse of the chapter. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. God hasn't stopped speaking. It's just that not everyone wants to listen. 
let alone believe what they've heard. Not everyone who believes will end up putting legs to their faith, will put their faith in action, even though God continues to speak to them. God continues, as he says here in verse 21, to stretch out his hand, but so many of his words are falling on ears that have no desire whatsoever to be obedient. Rather than living in obedience, rather than making their faith active, they question They debate everything that God has said. They will hear God speak. The Holy Spirit will even confirm what God said in their heart. And rather than following with that next step of obedience, they feel the need to insert their own opinion here and there. I hear you, God, but did you ever think about doing it this way? I see what you're leading me to, and I can see the trajectory you're sending me on, but you know what? I'm looking at things from a different perspective, and I actually see a better path down this way. Did you ever think about that? God, I'm completely on board. But you know, I was thinking, maybe it would be a good thing to wait a little bit before I jump into that. Lord, I know you're right, but I want to make sure that I'm financially set before I get into this adventure that you've called me on. We make every excuse under the sun not to put legs to our faith which reveals that our real problem takes us all the way back to unbelief. You don't have to have all the answers before you hear God, receive his word, and obey what God has done as you follow him. All you have to do is believe in him, and you can if you want to. God's word has never failed, and what God has promised, he is sure to do. We have no reason to doubt him. We have no reason to believe that he will not be true to his word. When we fail to have an act of faith, we're telling God, God, I don't believe in you or your word. And unbelief always stems from our hearts because our head knowledge, as we've surveyed everything, concludes that God is every bit trustworthy. But it's those darn deceitful, wicked hearts of ours that are battling against what the mind tells us to be doing and is constantly wanting us to doubt God. In Hebrews 3.12, it tells us, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. God gives us everything we need to believe in him and have an act of faith, but it is up to us to make that happen. Biblical faith is really all about immersing yourself in God and in his word, remembering that faith comes by hearing from God. Biblical faith is about being devoted to Christ, about keeping Christ as the object of your faith. It is not so much that we have to have this incredible amount of faith in this great God, but that we have faith in a great God. That's all it is. Biblical faith is about distancing ourselves from sin. As we mentioned this morning, Unconfessed sin creates such a huge barrier between us and God. So don't allow that sin to go unconfessed. Be active in repentance. And finally, biblical faith is made possible through the Holy Spirit. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, Trust and Obey. And that's exactly what makes biblical faith possible. To trust and obey what God has told us. As we hear from God, we're to trust and obey. We're to receive from God all that we need for life and godliness and to put that faith into action. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight?
Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for the reminder that we have here, Lord, about what faith is and how we can have it. Lord, as we've taken some time to answer different questions here, I pray that we've touched on one here this evening, Lord, that speaks to us all. Lord, I know that we're all in different stages in our walk with you and our relationship with you, but Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us with the different things that we may be struggling with, with those areas, Lord, that are serving as a barrier between us and our obedience to you. Lord, help us to have that act of faith that overcomes these barriers. Lord, that shows our, our true and complete obedience to you and to your word. Lord, in all the things that we claim to be, and may it be evident by how we live a godly life according to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.